Okay, welcome back to episode four of the Better You podcast, where we focus on better understanding ourselves so we can become better versions of ourselves. And so far, we've done that through hearing other people's stories, but very soon I will have my first expert on the show so we can get the perspective of someone who's been professionally trained to help us make sense of our stories. But first, in this episode, I talk to blogger, writer, and host of the Your BFF podcast, Mel Stevens. Heads up that Mel's story is very intense. It includes her struggles with depression and anxiety, a chronic illness diagnosis, divorce at a young age, issues with support from her family, and a suicide attempt. She is so honest and so vulnerable in sharing her story, and I feel very confident that you will find her insight extremely valuable. And as always, at the end, I will share my favorite takeaways from her story. Enjoy. Okay, hello, Mel. Hi. I've missed talking to you. I know, girl. I feel like like this is so great. I have I've definitely missed this a lot. So I know. So for those of you um, who don't know, I was the guest co-host on Mel's podcast called the Your BFF podcast for what was it like six weeks? It was eight weeks. Yes, it was great. Yeah, so we were on this weekly routine of recording a podcast together, and then we haven't the past couple weeks, and it's been a big void in my calendar. I know, me too. I've definitely <laughs> missed you, but I've loved your podcast. It's so awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it, you know, it's a learning curve as I, you know, try and figure out how to do this. And um, yes, let's see what days that we're recording Tuesday. So the episode that went live today is actually my first solo episode. Um, so I'm pretty nervous about that. It was really weird to just like sit and talk all by myself. And yes, of course, I didn't really <laughs> script anything out. I kind of just, I, I winged it. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's, it's real. So I'll, I'll give it that. That that's it right there. It's real life. Uh, so especially when like you know like the things when things don't go quite as what you're you're hoping when you're in the recording process like I mean I feel like there's not been one time that we recorded where something like technically or whatever did not go awry it's just it's real life no no for for real but I'm very excited about this because the of all the podcast episodes we recorded together like the first one was really kind of more focused like you had me on as a guest you know about my book and then when we did the challenge episodes together we were really more kind of talking about general topics and so we haven't really taken a lot of time to talk about your story so I'm I'm very excited to really dive into that today I'm ready put me in the hot seat Casey (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> oh, no. Um, okay, so let's start with just um, kind of give everybody like a real brief kind of Cliff Notes bio of kind of like who you are and what you do and what your life looks like. So um, I have, as you know, a podcast called Your BFF Podcast, and basically it's about it's about life and the conversations that we are having or that we want to be having with our best friends. And those topics may range from anything as, as serious as mental health and uh, body image to a rousing game of fuck, Mary kill, because, you know, that's just how we roll around here. Um, because these are the, I mean, it, you know, that's so reflective of real life. It's not always something necessarily serious, but it's not always, you know, surface level stuff either. So you get kind of a hodgepodge mix with my show. And um, I also am a blogger, writer, I have my own blog, musiccitymel.com, and where I blog about my 
my life with chronic illness and struggling with depression and anxiety. So, uh, yeah, and I'm a fur mom. I love, I, I have three fur, fur doggies that I, I adore. They're like my little, my little, I don't know, co-pilots in life. <laughs> I did. I thought you only had one. I didn't know you had um, Girl, a, a litter. I have a whole litter and now I'm out here rescuing damn birds out like, <laughs> like I'm Snow White. I'm like, this is not what I thought being a Disney princess was about. What happened? Uh, I love it. Okay. Um, and you are in Nashville. I am. Well, I'm just outside of Nashville, but close enough. <laughs> right, right. How long have you lived there? Uh, my whole life. Whole life? Born and raised in Nashville? I'm a unicorn. Cool. Okay. Um, I, I'm I'm rare breed also um, that I was born and raised and currently live in Jacksonville, although I did leave for like eight years. Um, but there's not a whole lot of, of Jacksonville natives still here either. Yeah. So, so we're yeah. both unicorns. Okay. So... I think you probably know how I like to start this podcast, which is really just diving um, to what I think is the most interesting part of somebody's story. Yeah. And it's really kind of that, whether it be a moment or just kind of an overall chapter in life where you felt the most kind of just off and like disconnected from yourself, like whether you were really aware of it at the time or not, like Mm -hmm. Tell us about that moment or that, that time in your life. And then we'll just go from there. That was probably, um, well, it, 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 it's, it's a moment, but it's a very long moment because, uh, I guess we could say it started with my, uh, diagnosis of interstitial cystitis, which is a autoimmune condition. Um, and so with the decline of my health, my physical health, the decline of my mental health also happened. Um, this, unfortunately, it, it unfolded over a long time. This was, you know, this was several years. Um, during How that old time, were you, you got diagnosis? I was barely 20, I was barely 21, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I was really, really young. And uh, so, I mean, the way it kind of started out, um, they didn't, they didn't know what was going on. I was going through all kinds of testing. There was, you know, talks of it possibly being something like, you know, cancer. And, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of heavy, scary stuff for a 21 year old who had been recently married. Um, mm -hmm. and not only was that stressful on me, but it was stressful on, on the marriage as well. Um, right. because you know, the guy married a healthy person and, and then that's not what he got. So <laughs> I know right. that and it all says going to all these doctor's appointments and having all these tests and there's right. all these knowns and yes. yeah, that's a, um, not that any age is a good age to be diagnosed, no. but that's a particularly interesting one because like 21 is like, you're just, you're, that's like the last thing you're expecting. Oh, absolutely. Um, so it ended up that it was a, it's an autoimmune condition. Um, so I deal with a lot of, a lot of pain on a daily basis still to this day. Um, and I am now 35. Uh, so that's just to give you an idea of how long this is, this has been going on. But, um, so yeah, over the period of a few years, um, five, about five years to be exact, my, my health deteriorated, my mental health deteriorated, my marriage deteriorated. Uh, it was a lot of shedding of things, <laughs> yeah. um, you know? And, uh, so ultimately I did get, I did get a divorce, um, from, from that guy. Um, and 
that was even though even when a divorce or a breakup is the right thing for you, it is still like it's like mourning a death to a degree um, because you're mourning something that you thought you had with a person or maybe mourning expectations that you had or parts of yourself that maybe you feel like you lost during that time. And so it was definitely a mourning process for me. Um, There was a lot of therapy involved to um, help me to number one, figure out my own part in that because, you know, like something you and I have talked about a lot uh, is owning your shit. <laughs> yeah. And so I definitely started to do that. Um, so you were how old when this divorce happened? Uh, I was 20, f- almost 25. Yeah. So 24, almost 25. Yeah. So that's still like, that's still super young. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. A thousand times, yes. Uh, Yeah, if I could go back and tell, you know, 20-something-year-old Melissa, like, don't do that. Like, don't don't be, don't get married yet. You're not ready. Uh, That would be great. But alas, I cannot. So, um, but like, what did that, because um, I, I have, um, I have some friends who, who got married young and then subsequently got divorced young. And I feel like there's, there's kind of a couple different ways you can look at it. Like you can look at it like, oh, okay, good. I'm still young to kind of, you know, re-enter the, the dating world. But I feel like that also, it messes with you mentally, the fact that at that young age, you have a quote unquote, like failed marriage under your oh, belt. Oh, for sure. I guess kind of like, what was your your mental health deterioration like? What did that look like? And then kind of you add the divorce on top about on top of that, like unpack that a little bit if you can. So that it had a lot to do with the deterioration of our marriage because we I mean, he it it was just a rocky situation in general. He was um, I, I think that neither of us quite. I don't think either of us quite got what we signed up for. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um Basically, between the two things, like I just fell into this depression of, okay, I am not, I'm not fulfilling my end of the bargain. I am not good enough. You know, I'm not good enough for him or for anyone. Um, I fell into that kind of a dark place. And I can see both sides of that, you know, where it's like, okay, at least I'm, I, you know, hey, I'm still young, but it is also very, very daunting to think, okay, I am only, you know, almost 25 years old and, and I've, and I didn't make this work, you know, and, and somehow feeling like that is all on me and internalizing that, um, which right. wasn't and good then for, to reenter the dating world, I'm sure. Yes. And I, and I did, um, I did reenter the dating world and I mean, at first it was just like, I, I felt like I was kind of, um, just filling a void, filling a space, um, Um, not really, it wasn't really about the person I was dating. It was just more about filling a role. Um, because my relationship with my, with my folks was also kind of rocky during this time because they weren't super on board with the whole divorce thing. Mm. And, um, was that for, um, like religious reasons or just like they've been married a long time and just believe in, you know, marriages lasting the long run or kind of what was their perspective of, of why that was not an okay decision? 
It definitely wasn't a, a religious thing. They had, been, you know, they've been married, you know, for golly, I mean, forever. And, you know, they had gone through a rocky patch in their marriage early on. Um, or maybe actually, I'm sorry, let me back up. It wasn't during their marriage. It was like during their engagement. And, mm-hmm. um, but they had worked through it. And so in their mind, it's, it's just, well, you made the commitment, period, end of story. You make it work no matter what. And that's just, that's how they that's how they feel about things. Um, and so they didn't understand the full spectrum of what, you know, what was going on and, and how, I, I mean, truly how unhappy that I was. Um, and I don't want to yeah. say that I think that they didn't care that I was unhappy because I don't know that that's, I don't think that that's true or a fair statement, but, um, I think they just kind of thought, Oh, you'll get over it. You know what I mean? Like, right. like it's something that is work throughable. Right. Like it's a phase you'll get past it. And that's just not true. And, and that's a hard thing when you are that age. And I mean, for, for my whole life, I grew up feeling that my parents knew best for me and for everything. Like I knew that their guidance was solid and realizing how differing our opinions were about this situation showed me that that's not always the case that, you know, they can come from a a place of, of protection and, and, you know, wanting your best interests, but that doesn't mean that they have your best interests in heart. They can want it, but they don't necessarily know what that is because they're not you, you know, they, they can't control your happiness. Exactly. And I think that's, that's such an interesting point it's kind of like they from their perspective they have your best interests at heart but their perspective isn't your perspective and I think that's very a very difficult thing for parents to really like grasp because I mean you know they brought us into this world and they kept us alive and they did know like everything for a really long time but then I feel like that age around in your kind of mid early mid late 20s there's there's usually some kind of life incident that happens like yours was relationship marriage based as was mine where you Mm -hmm. kind of come up against this battle of what they think is right for you and what you think is right for you and like kind of for the first time for a lot of people it's called out that like those those perspectives are very different Yes, absolutely. Um, and so that was that was a hard thing. And and so during this time, we didn't really we didn't really talk um, a lot. My during the divorce process. Uh, yes, during the divorce process and just after for for a little while, we didn't really talk. Um, my my mom How and I. How were you with them prior to that? Ah, uh, that's a hard question, and this is why. Um. The the obvious answer I feel like would be like, oh, we were very, very close. Um, but I realized that maybe they didn't know maybe they didn't know me. Um I think maybe they knew the version of me that they wanted to know and the that they wanted to see. And then when that didn't match up, um, then our relationship was problematic. Um and I'm not saying that it that it was a, that it was conditional, but it began to feel like it was a con, more of a conditional love type of okay. situation, you know, because I wasn't making them happy or proud or or whatever with my decisions. 
did they kind of just see a certain version of you because that's what you intentionally showed them because that's what you wanted them to see? Or like how much of it was, um, I guess maybe them kind of picking and choosing the parts of you that they saw versus you picking and choosing the parts of you that you showed to them? Oh, I definitely think it was both. I mean, I think, you know, that they had an idea in their mind of this is who our daughter is and that's that and it's finite and it doesn't change. Um, but then on the flip side, I saw myself being very different, um, than my family. And then I felt that that was wrong because that's not what they believed in. And so I was hiding parts of, of who I was, um, things that made me, me, that really there was nothing wrong with with me. It's just I'm different. I don't necessarily believe everything that that they believe, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I can 100% relate to that. So mm-hmm. okay. So then you you get the divorce, and then that just kind of furthers the. the it separation. does. It does. Um. Because so again, like it, it's one of those things where I do think you have to go through kind of a mourning process with it. Um, and so, I mean, again, I was, I was grieving the relation, the end of the relationship, even though I knew like that was the absolute best thing for both of us without a doubt. And, um, I was grieving the fact that my life didn't look how I thought it would look. Um, because here I was, you know, I was about, I was 25 years old and now divorced. My career wasn't going great. My health wasn't going great. Um, I started dating during this time, which I mean, let's be honest, that was probably a bad idea, uh, <laughs> you know, but I don't uh, know. I mean, there's yeah, arguments for both sides. Like, so. Let's bring someone else into this shithole. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh girl. Um, so but that does like make a little bit of sense, like especially so you were used to being married. So you were used to being, you know, part of a couple. And so then you have this big change in your life. Well, you have two big changes in your life, like the illness and then the divorce. And so I think it's it's not surprising that you'd maybe be grasping at straws a little bit to kind of be like, OK, like, where do I fit? Who am I? And so kind of wanting to go back into that role you're used to of being somebody that's in a relationship. I think, I think a lot of us do that. Cause like, oh, that's absolutely. Yes. And here's the other thing is I had gone from literally being, you know, with my parents, living with my parents to being with him. I really jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Um, yeah. I never had the time to be on my own and I still didn't. I, I was so afraid of truly being on my own. Like in my mind, I was like, I'm independent. I'm an independent woman, girl, bye. You are not, you are still relying on other people for your happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I did finally, I started dating this, this one guy, um, we'll call him Brad. That's not his <laughs> name, but we're going to call him Brad. Cause I need a name okay. for him. So, um, Brad and I, like we clicked on a, on a, whole different level than I had ever experienced before. Um, and you know, things got pretty serious. I really truly thought I was like, okay, this is, this is my person. This is, this is him. Um, and during that time I was still struggling with, with my depression. Um, I found out that my ex husband was getting married. Um, 
this was about this is just a few months after our uh, after our divorce was final. Ooh, um, so that always married. brings up a ton of questions. It does, but not for like the reasons why a lot of people would think because you know it's like oh no you you know you, that means you you miss him no 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 I did not <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was a matter of I felt like here he was getting to be happy to move on and and feel happy. That's what I saw. Right. I don't know that that's actually what it was because I don't know. I didn't talk to him, Mm -hmm. but that's how it was perceived by me. And then I looked at my life and I saw, you know, how depressed I was, how sick I was, that my job was hanging on by a thread because of my health, that my relationship with my family was really rocky and I was depressed and I, it hurt me so deeply that like, I, again, it felt like another failure to me. That I had done something somehow. Um, And that wasn't, that really truly wasn't the case. But um, so um, one night I like, it was just rock bottom. I had found out I was going to have to have surgery. And, you know, I I knew my my mom probably would not be there for the surgery. Mm -hmm. And um, all this stuff. And I it just, it just started to go in a downward spiral. And, uh, ultimately after my surgery, um, I felt worse physically, which made me feel worse mentally. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one night I locked myself in the bathroom with all of the pain pills that I had and I attempted to take my own life. And, um, by taking just, just, a just overdosing of all the pills. Yep. And, Did you and live Brad at this point, no, Brad was living with me. Okay. Um, and so he broke down the door and saved my life. Um, I am living today because of him. Um, so wherever he is, I, I'm, I will always be thankful because, um, you know, he, he did, he saved my life. Um, and, uh, but unfortunately that's not where that part that's not where that part ends. Like, um, he took it and, and internalized it and felt, mm. I think he felt that part of it was his fault. And, uh, you know, he came to me and, and basically said, you know, I, I can't, I can't do this because, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to come in and I'm going to find you dead. And I can't, I can't live with that. And so he left. How long um, after um, the suicide attempt did that happen? It was just a matter of a few days. Oh, it, my God. It just happened. Yeah. And um, so um, I went and I, I I I talked to my uncle who I'd been very close to growing up. He was kind of like a like a second dad figure to me um, for most of my life. And he lived nearby. And I, I, I sent him a message and I said, I need I need to meet with you. I need to speak with you. And, um, so he, um, he met with me and I just broke down and I just cried and I I said, I, I don't know what to do. I need help. Um, oh, I should also throw in, I lost my job because of, um, because of my health. Um, I had to be out for this surgery and because I hadn't been there a full year, they knew that if they could let me go and I couldn't get FMLA. So they were like, so they did that after after the boss had actually promised me, no, you know, your job is safe. I've got your back. And then literally within a day, he they let me go. 
Uh, uh, so. So shitty. It was so shitty. <laughs> so at this point, had you gone to any kind of therapy? I had previously. I wasn't in it at that moment. Now okay. I got back into it after this. Um, mm-hmm. So the conversation with my uncle um, caused him to call my family and say, look, she needs help. You know, we, we've got to do something. And so the next day, my folks came and they helped me pack up my apartment and I moved back in with them at the age of 26. It was just wild. Um, Oh my gosh. Like I see there's so much that goes in here that I, like I I'm leaving out things. Um, something else that had happened was during, um, during the time that I was separated from my, my ex-husband. So, um, to give you a span of, of how long this, this occurred over, it was, a uh, you know, we were together for about five years, um, about halfway in about three, three ish years. in, I actually attempted to leave for the first time. Um, and like, we were going through the process of, you know, separating and like starting the process of the divorce. Um, he started dating other people. I was out there. I was like, well, I'm going to date other people too, then damn it. And so, I met this, this guy and, uh, it, I mean, we had only met once for a drink and then, um, I went to an event with him, um, in that, in the Nashville area. Um, and, uh, it's called steeplechase. It's, it's kind of like the Nashville version of the Kentucky Derby sort of. Mm-hmm. And, um, we were, um, it, it's, it's like one of those things where people, you know, get dressed up, they're they're drinking or whatever. And, uh, I, um, was drugged there. And, uh, this, this precious girl, we talked about this on, on my show, but this, mm-hmm. this really precious girl recognized that something wasn't right. Didn't make sense. Cause I'd had exactly one beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was pretty much just blacked out. Uh, she drugged me by herself, um, to, uh, this, this, there was a, they get like, they have like campers and tour buses and stuff that line up. And she drugged me over to one of the buses and, and like knocked on the door. Apparently they, they let me, they let her in with me and they were like, you know, thinking maybe I'd had a heat stroke or something at first. And so they, um, were concerned, you know, they were trying to see if they could get me conscious and to get me water. Like they're like, the girl just didn't know what was going on. And so, um, about that time, the guy and his friend who I, I think had been in on it. Um, so they, they came, they found her. This is all stuff I got on the, on the back end. I wasn't aware of any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so they came in, they're like, no, no, she's just had too much to drink, which is a complete lie. They, um, they're like, no, we've got her. We're going to take her and it's no big deal. So they took me and then apparently the people on that bus thought it was suspicious enough to alert the police. And so they were looking for me. Um, so I woke up several hours later. I mean, this was, uh, this happened over the course of about six to seven hours. And I woke up in a car surrounded by cops and medics that they had broken into the car to get me out. Jeez. Yep. So needless to say, my trust in people was gone. And, and so, um, the reason I backed up with that story is because that, you know, and then Brad leaving, um, you know, and, and the stuff with my, with my 
my ex and like my family. And I just felt like, oh, okay, so I can't trust anybody. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's a lot of like hits to take in a short period of time. I mean, you, you know, you get married young, you get yep. diagnosed with a chronic illness, your marriage starts to fall apart. This incident happens, you know, you get divorced, um, you know, you, you attempt suicide, the person who saves you in your relationship then decides to, to leave. And I mean, that's, and you're only 26 at this point. Like that is, that's yes. a lot of traumas in a, in a short period of time for a, for a young woman to handle, for a young human to handle. Yeah. And I, and I thought that there was something wrong with me that, you know, this stuff kept happening and, um, and I, and I won't say that there's not a certain amount of that in there. Um, not that like, I don't, and I don't mean this in a sense of, oh, I was asking for it or anything like that, but I, you know, I've, I've, I talk about this quote all the time, man, and it's so true, but we accept the love that we think we deserve. And I yes. thought I deserved nothing. Um, and so I got nothing. Um, so after think that came from like let's back up a little bit to kind of what was your your childhood like like what was high school like like you know why did why was your first marriage like how did you end up in a in your in a young marriage that was not a healthy one oh well um my childhood was good honestly my like growing up it was good um I was I would say I was close with my family. I was very much a, um, like probably guess an overachiever. Um, I was super creative. I loved, uh, I loved doing anything with theater and writing and, and anything like that. Um, but so, um, I was an only child until I was in the eighth grade and my mom got pregnant. Um, and, uh, with my little brother who I adore, uh, but, that definitely was a big shift um because it was just such a, it was such a weird thing like so my my family was extremely protective uh not as much of my brother but of me um and so they kind of kept me up under their thumb so like i didn't really feel like i got to experience a lot of things that teenagers should probably experience um you know, just even like just doing certain things with their friends and, and stuff like that. I was the girl that like if I was going to to a party or something, then everybody knew it was fine because her parents would not let her go. You know, if uh, if there was anything nefarious going on. Um, well, so that's just, interesting because like I wonder then it's like if you're a little bit too sheltered growing up, then it's like you never have those kind of much smaller kind of benign circumstances to like test trust and like learn yes trust you know what I mean like those all those like small little moments of yes you know how to how to read people I guess one thousand percent and I was so I and as I started to get older and into you know my high school years and like start to see like, okay, you know, I, I was planning out the things that I wanted to do. And this is why something like in your book, like really hit me. Um, because so for example, I wanted to go to school, um, for journalism and, 
that was not a thing that my family was okay with and because that's not a real job you know like you need yeah. to do this because this is better for you and whatever and again they had they had the best of intentions but nonetheless it suffocated the life out of me mm-hmm. and so i made i ended up making a a judgment call and um i was like no i'm not going to i'm not going to do this i'm going to go to school to do nails that's what i'm going to do and so like i just it was like an overcorrection. Mm-hmm. So it was like a rebellion, but then I would overcorrect it. Um, and that was kind of what I did with my first marriage. It was like, I hate being up under their thumb. I want independence. Let me just go find me a man. That was not smart. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, and that's so funny too. Cause it's like, I, it is, you're so right. It is almost like an over correction because you had kind of been held to one extreme so then you're like nope I'm going over to the other extreme which is like oh I'm going to go off and get married which ironically then like isn't really in as much independence as if you had been like all right I'm going to go you know move across country and live by myself and I think the thing about that is is I felt like I wasn't capable of doing it by myself that I had to have somebody because you know I'd always seen their relationship and the way that they are dependent upon upon each other. And I thought that that's what it was. I thought that's what you did with life. You, you know, you got out of school, you get married and then that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have anybody in my life that hadn't, especially a woman that hadn't like fall, followed that path. So I was like, okay, that's what I do. Cool. Here I go. Uh, so you think you can control me. You're wrong. He's going to control me instead, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that's kind of how that went. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, so the childhood part wasn't bad, but then it just started to get where the controlling part and like, or the, you know, the, the, um, the expectations were very high of me and like the, you know, you shouldn't do this. You need to do this because this is what's, this is the way it, this is the way you're supposed to do things. And yeah, it's like, it it goes back to that whole concept of like, they, I'm sure they had great intentions you know like we're going to protect our daughter and we want the best for her but it's like sometimes those I mean I guess it's like that saying like the path to hell is paved in with good intentions because it's like you you can mean well but there's like an unplanned consequence of that like that that you wouldn't necessarily expect but then people are on the other end because you know we we react differently and we internalize things and you know we can't control each other's decisions so that's yeah okay absolutely yeah it, it was um yeah it, it gosh i mean yeah they did have the best of intentions i i do believe that but um they kept me under such a lock and key I felt like I was up in Rapunzel's tower like I mean I literally like even into my like early 20s had a curfew of 10 o'clock like it wasn't like I I didn't have freedom and I you know and I I do kind of feel that if I had had the opportunity to have some freedom and to be allowed to to, to be given room to make mistakes and not be the perfect daughter or the perfect whatever that things might've been a little different. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that in a way of, of, you know, discrediting their parenting and, and that, you know, that they weren't trying to do their absolute best by me. Cause I, I do believe that they were, but um, 
at the end of the day, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the best for me. Right. So, all right. So then, you know, you fast forward many years and you've, you've been through all of these like tragedies. And then now you find yourself back under their roof after having not really been close with them because they didn't approve the divorce and whatnot. So, so how did that all play out? Huh, it was, I mean, it was definitely tough. Um, I think we got a little bit closer during that time. Um, but only to a degree, because again, it was that I don't, I didn't feel that I could fully be myself and experience my, my life, my full spectrum of emotions, the full spectrum of who I was, who I, you know, who I became, I didn't feel like I could fully experience that with them. And now whether that was because of expectations that they had, or because also I was projecting that based Mm -hmm. on previous experience. um, I think it's a mixture of both. uh, Honestly, did you feel like you couldn't like you, you had to act like you had it more together than you actually did even in that like really difficult time period of your life. Cause you were kind of back in that house of where you had to be, you know, the perfect daughter, or did you feel the freedom to like be sad and be depressed? Admittedly, I, I did, I, there was no possible way for me to even pretend that I had it together. I was, okay. I was at that low of a rock bottom, but I just kind of internalized everything and just kind of turned my, my mind into this just fortress of, of emotion and, and just darkness. Um, while I was trying to, to, while I was trying to get it together, um, mm-hmm. I started therapy. I was started seeing a, like a psychiatrist and, um, I did get on some antidepressants for a while. Um, which, um, to me, unfortunately, like that, like, hmm, they helped kind of, but they also, um, kind of made me a, a very, leth- like very lethargic, kind of a zombie, um, and so ultimately I did end up getting off of them altogether, um, and, and just opting for different routes of, of, um, of treatment. But, um, yeah, so it was, I, I just, I, I don't know. I still felt like I kept a lot of, a lot of myself hidden and to be fair, I, I do to this day, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's something that has not changed. Um, I don't know that. I don't know that I will ever 100% feel that I can just really be myself in that situation. In the situation with your parents? With or my folks, your... yeah. Okay. With my folks, yeah. Have there been any kind of open and honest conversations about like any of the various chapters of life or like anything that happened? Yeah, uh, yes, on some, I think so. Um you know, we were able to talk about my divorce and, and, um, you know, they, they finally saw more of what the, more of the full spectrum of what was going on in that relationship. And listen, I will own all of my faults and I definitely had some in there, but there was a lot of other stuff that went down in that relationship and, um, they didn't want to believe it. And, and I understand that, but at the same time, you know, you love your kid, man, you just like period. That's, I just feel, I just feel that in my soul. Now I'm not a parent. Um, maybe one day I will, I will be, but I just can't imagine a situation where I could just push my child away like that. Um, and so I think like that, that 
broke a lot of trust for me. Um, trust that I would, I would like to rebuild, but I, it, that's a, it's, um, it's proving to be a very difficult thing to navigate. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, like I, I'm not a parent either, so I don't, I don't know that perspective. Um, right. But I feel like I've always kind of been really like almost, I, I don't know, like taken back by kind of the the opposite end of it in terms of like how much your parents can just continuously like love you and want the best for you and think that you're going to make the right choice. Like they never give up on you, like kind of that that never ending love side of parenting. Right. So um, to try and comprehend like the opposite end of that. Um, I don't know how you would go about, you know, kind of trying to wrap your brain around that. It's tough. Um, and, and, you know, like they don't necessarily, they don't really, you know, support a lot of the things that, that I do that I, that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, like they don't understand it. And I think it's more that I don't, I don't think it's that they're necessarily purposefully withdrawing support. I just think they don't get it. Um, you know, like I have a podcast and my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. My mom tells me she doesn't have time to listen to the podcast. So, you know what I mean? Like it's stuff like that. Like they live their life a certain way and that's how they live it. And they don't understand or necessarily try to understand other, other perspectives and other things that are, that are out there. And, um, they've and never so like that they don't understand how, important it is to you because I think those are like two different things like not understanding the interest in something but then also not understanding like whether or not you understand how important it is to somebody else like I I would imagine that my entire family who I'm very close with and who I believe love me very much like I don't I don't know or necessarily expect them to listen to every single episode of my podcast I think my mother will um, no, your mom's but then, but then it's like to try and not take that personally is is difficult, but I know that's something like I'm gonna have to work through, right. I mean, so I, this is a thing that I've definitely tried to talk to them about is like the things that that I really truly am passionate about that I really want to do, the goals that I really want to achieve, and you know the podcast part being one of them. Mm-hmm. and but, because it's not something that's important to them, they don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't even care if they ever listened, you know, if they listened to every episode. Honestly, I don't know that I would, I don't even think I care that they listen to it at all. It's more a matter of just acknowledging that, hey, like, you know, that's great that you're doing something that means that much to you. You know what I mean? Like, just the acknowledgement of, you know, like you want, I feel like it's, it's something that's in, at least for me, it's something that's always been ingrained in me. And maybe this is one of the reasons I struggle so much is that I have, no matter what, regardless of the state of our relationship, I've always wanted to make them proud. And so Mm -hmm. for them to, to be able to even say that much would just be like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, I don't know what to do with myself, but, um, that's just, that's just not the case. So, um, I do have to kind of, I have to check my expectations because, um, you know, they're being who they are and I have to, to accept where that relationship is and what they are able to, to give me in in that relationship. I think that's, that, that's a good point that you make. It's kind of like, we want, 
essentially we want support and support can take various forms. So maybe they never read one of your blogs and never listen to your podcast, but that support can still look like when you do see them asking you how it's going and asking you, what are your bigger goals and how does this tie in? And like, what is the strategy? And so I, I, I hear you on that, that it isn't, I guess that there's just support can take different forms and you kind of just want just like one of them. Exactly. I would really be fine with that. I don't expect anybody to listen to everything and like, or read everything or whatever, but it's just a matter of, Hey, I've got your back. I I'm, I'm proud that you're, you're doing that, you know, whatever, like just a, Mm -hmm. just a little, a little at a girl would be super, but, um, I've had to learn to get, be my own at a girl. So, (laughs) (laughs) so when you went back to, to therapy and you're at your parents and you're kind of trying to climb out of this hole, like, what was that, what was that process like to kind of sort through and do you, like, in terms of everything you've been through, is it a matter of forgiveness? Is it a matter of acceptance? Like, how do you approach dealing with all of that so you can move forward in a healthy way? Um, well, I think the first thing I really experienced was a lot of anger at, at other people, at myself, at all of these, these things. Um, definitely some forgiveness. Um, you know, like, I mean, I don't, I truly don't harbor any bad feelings towards my, my ex. I think that, I think he did the best that he could. And, um, I, I know that a lot of people would look at that situation from the outside and be like, well, you know, your vows stay in sickness and in health and all that stuff. But, yo, when you're young like that, it, I don't think you fully understand the spectrum of that and what that means. And, um, you know, I, I mean, now, I, granted, I didn't purposefully change the game, but I still changed it. You know, he married somebody that was healthy and vibrant and everything, and then I became the exact opposite. Um, And I am willing to give someone grace for that. Um, Maybe that's crazy, but I think it makes sense. I I think it's realistic. And and I think a lot of people will disagree with this, but I agree with you that, I mean, those vows are intense when you really stop and, and think about them. And I feel like, you know, marriage has kind of just, I don't know, maybe, I don't want to say it's it's lost anything in society today, but I, I don't know that people really kind of think about and reflect on like the enormity of it when it's happening. Like, you know, you get engaged and you get married and you have the wedding and all this stuff. And, and I think, a, you know, a lot of couples, I, I know my, my, my mother's made mention of this because they've been married for a really long time is it's not till like several years into the marriage that you really start to even get it like grasp what you've like signed up for. So 100% like at um, 21, like, and, and maybe you can't, maybe you can't even grasp what you're signing up for until you're actually in it. And life starts to throw you these curveballs, and you've got to deal with them together. But, you know, I don't, I don't think you're by any means alone in kind of that aspect of not really knowing the like enormity of what you what you were absolutely oh yeah absolutely I mean and and in some cases I think you know there are people that can be that can start out that young and then they grow to they do grow together and they truly 
learn what marriage is and that's it, and that's in a good way. But in some cases, I think you realize this wasn't what I signed up for with this person. You know what I mean? Um, so I, and I do think, I think we also tend to romanticize marriage. Not that there's not a romantic part of it, but marriage is you are becoming family with this person. Like, Truly thinking of it from a family perspective, um, you know, and, and when you think about the the loving somebody, even when you don't like them, and that mm-hmm. is not easy, period. I don't care how much you love that person. There's going to be days that you want to set them on fire. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's just always, that's just real life. Um, but at that point in my life and at that point in his life, we definitely weren't ready for that. And we definitely didn't want it with each other. Uh, so, um, I have, I have nothing but, but grace for him. Um, and, and the same thing for, for Brad, you know, that thing, that whole thing was unfortunately like, you know, like I said, that, that even wasn't the end of it. You know, um, he ended up trying to come back in my life multiple times um after that like I'm talking a year later mm-hmm. um and you know I made a mistake I I still think about you and all these things but I couldn't get I couldn't get past that um you know I could forgive him for for walking away and I understood his reasoning but I couldn't just let I just couldn't let him back in um uh which I don't know I guess some people would say that's that means you didn't forgive him but I don't believe that I think you can forgive somebody but not want to play the dice again, you know? Right. No, I, I I agree. I think you can you can forgive somebody and not, you know, not hold any resentment or ill will towards them or any blame or anger or, or any of that. But but then also at the same time decide that they're not what's right for you in your life then at that point. Absolutely. Like I don't think forgiveness needs to always mean taking somebody back. No, it doesn't. And um, so I, you know, I, I, I declined. And uh, I, during this time, as you can imagine, I didn't learn my lesson. I was dating. Uh, <laughs> I, I started dating again. Um, I think the thing was, as I sit here and, I, and I'm just playing it all out in my mind, I was always looking for somebody to save me. Because my parents had kind of instilled that like they were my they were the people that saved me. And then, you know, then that was my ex-husband. And then that was, um, you know, the other guys I dated. That was Brad. That was, you know, whoever. And so I was always looking for someone else to save me. And the truth was I had to save myself and I had to figure that out. Um, You know, the princess saves herself in this one, guys. Um, So I, you know, after dating like, I, I mean, I dated a couple of different guys. They wanted to take it, the second they wanted to take it serious. I was out the door like the runaway bride, just pfft, gone. And uh, so that was when I finally was like, OK, girl, you got to stop. You got to stop this. This isn't working. You're doing nothing but ultimately hurting yourself. It's time to take a step back. And so I took a year and just focused on myself. Um, I was just getting right with myself, getting my shit together. I was doing, I think I was still doing therapy at this point. Um, and I was writing more and I was, I actually, I was, I had gone back to doing, to doing nails again. Um, and just trying to grow a life, 
that was mine. That wasn't my parents. That wasn't whoever I was dating or friends. Cause that was another thing that I'd kind of, um, I had had issues with in the past where I would have these friendships and think that, and I thought that I meant more to them than I did. But then when situations changed, like I was unhealthy and I couldn't go out and party with them or whatever, then suddenly I wasn't their friend anymore. Um, so I needed to find out who I was without anyone else. See, I think, oh, so I love that because I mean, it's, it's, as you know, very similar to my story. Like I, I was always, upset that like, you know, people weren't choosing me. And then I had this realization of like, I'm not choosing me. And then kind of went into this mode of, okay, I've got to choose myself. And you had a very similar thing, just slightly different of like, you were always wanting somebody waiting for somebody to save you. And then you realize, hold on, I need to save myself. And then kind of go into that mode of like, saving yourself in terms of kind of like creating your own life. And I think that's just like, those those steps are so important like identify the pattern turn the pattern around on yourself and then like like actually whatever it is you thought you needed from somebody else like really do that to yourself or like give that to yourself yes yes a thousand percent um and you know and i also would love to say that it's like i had this epiphany and my whole life changed um Yes, it definitely started to change and, and and all that, but it's still it's I I am still to this day a work in progress, you know. Oh, and yeah. I, I always think always are unless you reach some you know like I don't know spiritual leader status like Eckhart Tolle maybe, but I mean I feel like the rest of us like yeah we're in I, process. We are. It's always it's it's always a growth process and it's definitely an ebb and flow and. You know, there I definitely have gone through seasons where I felt more um, self-assured and and that I and and felt confident in my in my direction in life and and what I was doing. And then there's other times where I'm like, oh, so my whole world is on fire. That's cool. Uh, and um, and it, it goes between the two. You know, unfortunately, I'd love to say it's like you just like finish this chapter, you close the book, and it's like, oh, and they all lived happily ever after. But that's just not real life, guys. It's not real life. (laughs) I mean, I wish. That would be so great. Um, But nonetheless, uh, I did end up, uh, I started my own business, um, like, after all this stuff happened. And um, my own, it was my own nail business. I had specialized in, like, that Pinterest-worthy nail art stuff. um, Yeah. Which was something that I didn't know I could do, by the way. I've literally... I'd never have painted. I am not a like I I can't draw more than a stick figure. Uh so when the nail art thing hit the scene, I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I bet I can't do that, but let me just try anyway." And I had a couple of clients that were like, "Sure, you can try whatever you want on me. Cool, let me do that." So uh, it started with my, one of my first ones was, uh, gluing candy sprinkles onto a girl's nails. And then the next thing, you know, a few years later, I was literally able to draw like full on portraits on these nails, having zero experience, just like, okay, let's just try it. Um, so I had a, you know, I had a business. Um, I, um, I met my now husband, got married. Um, I, 
moved uh, out of of where my folks are and moved um, to the greater Nashville area um, and freaking loved it. Freaking amazing. It's my favorite place in the world. Um, and uh, but, you know, it's again, it's it's still a journey. I I've I, I have still struggled with my health issues. Those are things that aren't ever going to go away. And, you know, they kind of go into like a remission of sorts and then they kind of they come back on you and, and you feel worse. Mm-hmm. And so I um I got to the point where I started having more and more issues and it, it came to the point where even though my business was successful, it was, I couldn't keep up at the rate that I was going, the amount of clients that I had to see uh, physically, I just couldn't do it. So I had to make a very difficult decision and close my doors to my very successful business. Um, and, and again, it kind of sent me back down that spiral uh, because I had gotten away once again from fulfilling myself from the inside and had put my worth in something else. This time it wasn't another person. It was, um, my career. Right. But I think that's almost like part of the process. You know what I mean? It's like you started super external and then it's like, you kind of start to walk it more closer to yourself until you realize it really is just like all internal. So it's like you started, you know, in terms of other people and then, you know, it moved to a business, but like the business that you created it, it was your business. So like that's closer to you, but it still isn't like within you. Absolutely. Um, so that was, that was a really tough, that was a really tough time. Um, and, but you know, I, ever resourceful. I, I asked myself, okay, how can I, how can I utilize the skills that I have, um, that I, that I use to grow my business and help other people grow their businesses. And so I started basically just doing social media management and kind of content creation and, and out of the box marketing for small businesses and individuals. Um, I've literally had clients that ranged anywhere from a designer to an actor in New York and, you know, just all over the board, mm-hmm. uh, which has, you know, kept it very interesting for me. But it's also afforded me the option of being able to simultaneously try to achieve my dreams of of being a writer mm-hmm. and of, of having a podcast and connecting with people all over the world. I love it. So what is, so I understand like from a physical standpoint, kind of the, the, your health and, and like the illness kind of ebbs and flows. What is your like relationship with that? Like, how do you mentally deal with all those kind of ups and downs? Um, well, the first thing is, I recognize that I am not my illness. My illness is not me. Um, it is not my only identifier. Um, and I think a lot of people do that, unfortunately, you know, because like, you know, the, I can't do these things because of my illness, because of my whatever. And, and I don't look at it like that. Um, I look at it as I can do this in spite of my illness. Um, Have you always had that mindset or when, how long did it take you to kind of It took me a little bit um, because, you know, for a while I felt like it had cost me a lot. But I also, you know, to a degree, I kind of laid down and took it, too. You know, Um, I didn't fight as hard as I could. And now I fight all the time. Um, And it it got to a point where it was like, okay, you have to 
you can't, I mean, no, I cannot do every single thing everybody else can do. And I don't want to, I'm fine with that, but it, I do everything that I possibly can to make my life better and easier. That means, you know, eating better for me and, and, you know, physical activity and all these things, um, truly engaging in self-care. And I'm not talking about bubble baths. I mean, like real self-care, like, you know, um, making sure that I'm handling stress well, because, you know, stress can exacerbate um, chronic pain um, and making sure that I'm taking care of my, my physical being. If that means I need to get more rest, whatever that is, I, I do that um, so that I can do the things that are the most important to me. I know that I can't do everything, but I can do a lot. What do you think you have like what pieces are left for you to feel like you have fully like saved yourself? Um, hmm. Well, I definitely still struggle with, with, um, I definitely still struggle with depression and anxiety. And I mean, of course the, the health stuff, but, um, I think for me, it is finally, I would love to be able to get to a point where I can truly just be comfortable in my own skin. And I have days, don't get me wrong. Like I have days where I'm like, yeah, I am, I am awesome. Nobody can tell me nothing. Um, but I do still have those days that creep up on me with a self doubt and tell me that, you know, I'm not good enough. I, um, you know, I'm not worthy of, of these good things in my life. Um, and so I want to get to that point. I also, I also want to get to a point where I can love and be loved fully to the fullest extent. Um, and that's something that, you know, we actually talked about, I think it may have been our last episode together. Um, and man, that one hit me like a ton of bricks, you and your summer for self and your, your, <laughs> attacking journal props. Um, but well, I uh, think that's like kind of almost like the ultimate test, not test, is. the ultimate proof kind of, cause if you can fully love and fully be loved, like you can't reach that if you're not really being yourself, you know what I mean? Like exactly. so if you haven't, if you're not showing up in relationships, in your life fully as yourself, then you can't kind of allow somebody to fully love you because they don't, they're not seeing a part of you. So I think like, I don't know, to me, I, I, that's kind of like the, the ultimate goal. Yes, it absolutely is. And, and, you know, and you can't, you know, love others and be loved by others like fully if you don't give that to yourself. And mm -hmm. I used to, I remember when I thought that that was some bullshit hogwash you know, woo woo stuff, but no, it's real. It's, that is a very real thing. And, um, so when people, you know, talk about having, you know, maybe like they don't have like a great relationship or, or whatever, like I always, I'm like, okay, so what's your relationship with yourself? Like, because I know, I, I already know for me, like that is something that I do struggle with. And again, I do have the good days and I think now the good days outweigh the bad, but girl, don't get me wrong. Like I still go through my periods of time where I do struggle and I still, look at myself and say, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not talented enough. You're not worthy of any of these good things. You're not worthy of achieving your dreams that I still do that to this day, that negative self-talk in my head. Um, yeah. 
And is, so do you, do you say to yourself like that you're not worthy or that you, you're not able, like you can't both, both. Um, sometimes it'll be like a, I guess I could say I like maybe I throw myself a little pity party about, you know, like, oh, because of your health, like you don't feel good right now. You can't do this. And that's just not true. Um, maybe I can't do it today, but I can I can prepare and I can I can get ready and I can do it tomorrow or the next day. I, you know. Um, so the, the health thing is a journey in and of itself, and I'm still learning every day things that work and don't work um, that help me to feel better um, um, physically. But uh, yeah, I mean, really, truly the ultimate goal for me is all, it's all internal. It's all about truly being able to accept myself as myself flaws and all uh, just, and, and to be able to love myself and then therefore be able to be loved and to love others. Oh, I love it. Well, I think that is, um, I know that that is an achievable goal for you. Um, I think if you look so. at everything that you have already overcome and, and moved past. And, and I recognize it's, you're still in process as we all are, and there's going to be ups and downs, but just of kind of the, the awareness that you have of that. And I, I, I don't, you're, I mean, you're clearly a very strong individual. So, you know, I appreciate that. I, I believe in you wholeheartedly. I think that, um, you know, I, I guess I could let a lot of the things that have happened to me just harden me and make me a, a really cold person, honestly. Um, but what it's done is it's it's instead made me want to cultivate an environment around me that is accepting of everybody, no matter no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, it doesn't matter that you are still worthy of love. You are still worthy of all of the wonderful, beautiful things that life has to offer. And um, I want to be a person that people can go to uh, to count on for that support and a reminder that you are enough exactly as you are and you're worthy. Oh, I love it. I think that is a perfect note to end on. So yeah. go ahead and tell everybody um, where they can find you, your podcast, your writing, just all the things. Um, so you can find your BFF podcast pretty much anywhere you can download your podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Overcast, all those good things. And uh, the podcast is at your BFF pod on all the social media. And I am at Music City Mel on on all the social media. And you can find my website, musiccitymel.com. And that's where I do all of the bloggy things and, and writing and um Hey, maybe one of these days I can come back and I'll I'll have a book. We don't know. Maybe. Yes. No. <laughs> to <laughs> no, be continued. Happening. We will have you back on to discuss your book. To be continued, everyone. <laughs> All right, Mel. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. A big thank you to Mel for her honesty and willingness to share her story. Some of my favorite takeaways from our conversation are how we tend to hide parts of ourselves or not fully show up in relationships out of fear of how our true selves would be received or feeling like we are wrong in some way. How the support we crave from the people in our lives can take many different forms. How there can be unintended consequences from even the best of intentions. How we look for from others what we really need to give or do for ourselves. For example, for Mel, it was to be saved, and for me, it was always to be chosen.
And lastly, how it is a difficult process to move from finding happiness, fulfillment, and identity in the external to realizing it really only exists internally. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with friends or on your socials. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please check out my website, caseymain.com. I recently revamped it to include everything I've got going on, including my book, my blog, articles I've had published, a 40-day self-reflection challenge that you can take for free, as well as a new initiative that I'm super excited about, which is helping others to write their story. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at the Better You Podcast. And if you have feedback on this episode, please email me at the Better You Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day.